This is 91.3 KUAF Fayetteville. And this is Ozarks at Large for Friday, September 23rd, 2022. I'm Kyle Kellams. With me on the phone from his office in Fort Smith to help us start this show is Michael Tilly. Michael, it, we we had record high temperatures early in the week. It's moderated since. I'm sure you like that. Yeah, I mean, you people that like it hot probably don't, but I mean, it's Dang near October. Come on, boys. Let's cool this thing off. <laughs> well, let's let's start with something that hasn't cooled for a while. That is the uh, the decree talks, consent decree talks in Fort Smith. This has been going on for some time. And now the Fort Smith Board of Directors has approved a resolution that requires the mayor and one board member to view the future hearings about this. Right. So, uh, yeah, since 2014, the city of Fort Smith has been under a consent decree. Both the EPA and the Department of Justice has essentially said, we've given you guys decades to fix your sewer system, primarily is the problem. But we've, got, we've given you guys decades to fix it. You're not fixing it, so we're going to make you fix it. And so it's anywhere from a 450 to $650 million, it'll probably Kyle wouldn't be surprised if it's close to, close to a billion by the time it's all said and done. And so <laughs> over the life of this, um, essentially it's been city staff and the legal folks, Daly and Woods is a law firm, Jerry Canfield, Rick Wade, and a few others that have been negotiating, trying to negotiate some amendments, some relaxation of some of the original consent decree requirements. They've been successful on some of them. I think there is, um, I don't want to call it a frustration, but I think some of the board members uh, are wanting to be a little bit more involved in those negotiations. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, part of there, and, and there were several comments made that from the elected board members saying, hey, we think an elected person, someone who, you know, answers to the people, um, observe these and it's not they don't participate um they didn't go that far uh, although that i wouldn't be surprised if that comes in the next few years if this um doesn't let up but so they can observe the observe the negotiations any future negotiations they have um so that you know they can come back and talk to the citizens about what what's being said um this is going to be interesting, Kyle, because, again, this has been frustrating for those of us in the media or really any rate payer in Fort Smith. So here's how this works. You have a public body, the city of Fort Smith, that manages a public facility, a public um, system, water and sewer system, supported not by taxpayer dollars and rate payers, of which two federal public agencies have demanded they clean up the uh, demanded the city clean up its act. All of these public bodies are engaged with public taxpayer dollars. Yet for some reason, <laughs> there is no public transparency. You can't FOI any documents. You can't ask the EPA or DOJ any questions. Um, you. It, you would think that we were talking, you know, state, national <laughs> secrets here. So um, that's part of the frustration. I think that's bled over to the city board, and they're wanting just to have a little bit more of and uh, more of a uh, more involvement in what's going on, and probably a little late to the party, but at least they're at least they're getting there. Under un, under what rule or opinion can there not be? A successful freedom of information request. That's a that's a damn good question. Okay, all right. Uh, a question that the Fort Smith School Board had to answer is: If a school employee appears in a radio advertisement for a business owned by a school board member, is that okay? And the answer is apparently it is okay. Yeah, which is just kind of staggering. I, I've run this scenario by many people and Kyle, I've yet to get one person that says that it's okay. And what we have are two uh, basketball coaches for the Fort Smith school district 
promoting um, a heating and air business owned by uh, Mr. Blaylock, Mike Blaylock, who owns Blaylock Heating and Air. And Mr. Blaylock said the ads were created before he became a school be- school board member, and they're they're more about him promoting the school and the athletic program than they are promoting his business. But here you have a school board member who has two school employees in his ad promoting his business. That seems to raise potential conflicts on many levels. I mean, you're giving uh, possibly uh, an advantage to someone who's on the board being able to I guess, to have better access to employees. And if you're an employee and a school board member comes to you wanting to be in his or her ad, do you say no? Because they are, they can ultimately have some say in your future employment. So we essentially, to cut to the chase, we asked the enforcement public school district if this is a conflict and uh, their response uh, back to us was quote um, we, we've contacted our attorney and quote do not believe there is anything actionable so I guess it's okay at the in the Forsyth Public School District if you're uh, a school board member if you want to um, ask or otherwise coerce or cajole or whatever uh, school employee to promote your business on a radio spot or television ad. I guess that's perfectly fine now. Were the employees compensated for appearing in the ad? We did not ask the two coaches uh, about okay. that. Um, we, uh, once, and we, maybe we should, but once we got such kind of a, mm. this is no big deal kind of response, uh, we just hung the story out there. What's interesting, there's a little bit of, uh, potential hypocrisy when Sandy Dixon, who's on the board, she was, she owns turnkey construction, turnkey construction was involved in building the peak center, which is the workforce training center for the school district. There was some flooding there. And in the discussion about the flooding, she spoke up. Well, you would have thought she had just said something horrible or what. And so they had a long discussion about conflict of interest on the, uh, on the board and what board members, what they can and can't, um, say or do, or what they can't be involved with. So that's why we, that's another reason we were puzzled that this, you know, when Mr. Blaylock, um, wants to use employees, that's fine. When Sandy Dixon, who was involved in the construction of a facility wants to opine and kind of help the district understand whether there's flooding, that's a problem. So um, I don't get it. I'm not smart enough to understand, apparently. This week, there was a scheduled public meeting about the uh, possible foreign military sales uh, sales pilot training center coming to Fort Smith. What did we hear at that public meeting? Well, um, I don't think a lot new. Just, you know, they're, this is moving the ball down the road, so to speak, to get um, this facility here, you know, back in June of last year, um, that the, um, air force selected Ebbing air national guard base in Fort Smith to be this essentially foreign, uh, military pilot training center. And so, um, it, uh, it's expected to have quite a bit of an economic impact, potentially up to 825 total folks here, 345 U S military personnel, it really bring a back pretty strong activity to having, you know, there were F-16s and A-10s here at one time, um, F-4s way before that, and then I could go on. But so they had just had another community hearing. Um, they're pulling together their environmental impact. They, you know, I think noise, of course, is the big issue. Uh, but um, it would be, it'd be interesting to conduct a survey. I think, most of the folks who live in and around the Fort Smith Metro, um, if they've been here for any length of time, they've listened to the F-16s come in and out. I don't think it's going to be a big problem, and it's going to be such a huge economic impact. I think the little noise is going to be um, 
uh, not a problem. But this is just something else that moves this decision down the line. It's not a final decision yet. We're hoping to get that next summer. It's maybe being pushed back to next fall, but um, just part of the, part of the process. And speaking of planes and airports and landing and taking off, there is a software problem with certain kinds of jets, and that software problem is being fixed at very few places on the planet, one of them in Fort Smith. Yeah, of all things, sometimes these little, I guess, fun little stories, you call them, just kind of land in our lap. Um, so to speak. No pun intended, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. So Gulfstream, uh, they make private jets, one of the largest private jet manufacturers in the world. Um, they're G500, G600 jets. They seat about anywhere from 15 to 19 people, I think, depending on how you configure them. But they had a, um, essentially, it's a, I'm not going to get down the weeds. They had a software problem that um, could override how the pilot controls the plane as it lands. So that's kind of important. So they yeah. wanted to fix that. Um, and mind you, these are 45, 55, $65 million planes, depending on, again, how you configure them or if you buy them new or used. Um, and so the FAA finally agreed to the software fix. Well, so, um, in addition to their service centers, Gulfstream, which is based in Savannah, Georgia, set up what they call stand-up facilities in only three places around the world. One was Fort Smith. The other two were Basel, Switzerland, or Basel, Switzerland, however you want to say that, and Singapore. <laughs> so, um, and this story, again, kind of laying in my lap, I had people just out of the blue one day sending me pictures or and sending emails and texts saying, Hey, what's going on? There are all these private jets setting up the Fort Smith regional airport. And so I made a few calls, had a, some folks send me some um, stories that were out and pulled it together. But Gulfstream wouldn't tell us how many were um, serviced in Fort Smith, but um, there's quite a few. I talked to Michael Griffin. He's head of the, uh, he's a director of the Fort Smith regional airport. He, thinks the airport was picked because back in September 2017, Gulfstream moved a lot of planes to Fort Smith when Hurricane Irma was moving up the East Coast. You know, Savannah's right there on the on the coast. So he thinks that relationship helped. But um, there's probably a good bit of money. All those jets had to come in, buy some gas here. They had work crews here for several weeks, uh, we were told. So just, again... Nice, fun story every once in a while that um, you get to report out. You know, I couldn't help but when I read that story, think about there are pilots who are flying a plane to get repaired for a problem that could potentially, <laughs> change, you know, alter how you land the plane. I mean. Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, I, I, it wasn't a critical software glitch, but yeah, yeah, you're, you're, you're hoping that um, that all goes well. So. <laughs> All right, speaking of all goes well, will all go well in Texas this weekend when Arkansas plays Texas A&M? I, um, after what happened last Saturday, I would, I, I think my, I would be a fool, anyone would be a fool to predict. Although Vegas thinks the Aggies are going to pull it out, I'm, I still think we're going to get a jukebox lit up. But anyway, that's just me. Well, I would just call last week's game highly entertaining. I don't know. It was entertaining the last two minutes, yeah. But other than that, it was it was ulcer inducing. Well, you do not have to get an ulcer when you read talkbusiness.net. It's there with everything we've talked about and much more. Michael Tilley, as always, thank you for your time. Hey, thank you, sir. Ozarks at Large is underwritten in part by the Walton Family Charitable Support Foundation. The Northwest Arkansas Jazz Society and KUAF present Hammond B3 organ master Pat Bianchi and his trio at the Roots Festival headquarters in Fayetteville, Saturday, September 24th at 7 p.m. Past winner of the best jazz organist in the New York City Hot House Reader Poll and Downbeat's Critics Poll, Bianchi returns to Fayetteville for an encore concert. Digjazz.com for tickets. You may have heard the first ever format festival is taking place through Sunday in Bentonville. How does a city get ready for its first large music festival? Ozarks at Large's Anna Pope reports.
An ad for the first format festival dropped in August, previewing the 80 live music acts and two dozen visual performances and institutional artists who will be at the event. Format is a three-day festival merging music, art, and technology set on 250 acres, five minutes outside of Bentonville. Bentonville is home to nearly 57,000 people, and 10,000 individuals are expected at Format this weekend. When planning for an event of this size, Debbie Griffin says ensuring there are enough rooms in the area was part of the process. So we had a, a joint collaboration with county and city officials, but also with our local community partners, the Visit Bentonville uh, team, the downtown Bentonville team, everyone who works to bring um, tourists and people to northwest Arkansas and the Bentonville area were all involved in those initial meetings. Griffin is the Director of Administration for the City of Bentonville, and the city approved the festival's plans in July. Griffin says conversations about the event began more than a year ago. Festival goers will stay in hotels in Bentonville and different areas in northwest Arkansas. About 150 people will spend their nights in camp format in communal or custom luxury tents offered through the festival. And I know that there will be some camping on site. Uh, logistically, those were things that we needed to work out, too, because we're talking about not only, um, you know, sanitation issues, but also safety issues with our public safety. But I also know that um, the coordinators of the festival worked ahead of time to make sure that there were hotel blocks and rooms that were available for the area. So it's a huge economic um, boom for our city, and we're very excited to welcome them to the area. For format, part of the two-lane paved Price Coffee Road will be closed between Gooseberry Road and Arkansas 72. Festival vehicles and local traffic will be allowed on the 1.7 miles closed section of the road. There was a lot of coordination with our streets and transportation area with the city and the county, but also from an engineering standpoint, uh, when you look at, we, we talked a little bit about the lodging or bringing camping in, um, even when they're putting in temporary bridges or temporary roads or temporary walkways, those things all have to be coordinated, you know, months in advance to make sure that um, re the requirements that are required by the city from a safety standpoint uh, have all been met. People across the United States and other countries are expected to attend the festival, and Griffin says Bentonville is no stranger to holding large events. Well, I, I think there have been several events like that. You know, we're, we're known for uh, some of our larger biking events, which attracts thousands of people to the area each year, some of the larger biking events. And I think this is the first year for this festival. We hope that they'll continue to be an annual event and continue to come back to Bentonville. But I think you could liken this to the Bentonville Film Festival um, that we've seen come to our community year after year. And that brings thousands to the area as well. The Bentonville Bike Festival this year expected around 20,000 attendees in June, and the Bentonville Film Festival showed 90 films and had 85,000 attendees in 2018. For Ozarks at Large in the Bruce and Ann Applegate News Studio One at the Carver Center for Public Radio, I'm Anna Pope. This is Ozarks at Large. Arkansas reported 18 deaths from COVID-19 yesterday. Over the last three days, the Department of Health says a total of 53 deaths were attributed to the virus. State epidemiologist Dr. Mike Seema says most deaths happened in previous months. While we hate reporting you know, the, that level of deaths, uh, it is coming from that, that surge that occurred during the summertime. You know, It takes a while for those death certificates to get reported to us and, and subsequently reported out to the public. Hospitalizations fell by three, with 286 people being treated statewide. Overall, Dr. Seema says he's encouraged by what he's seeing. Taken as a whole, since you know we hit our peak of over 400 individuals currently hospitalized in July and August, uh, the trend is still down. Overall, I think uh, the situation with COVID-19 in Arkansas is consistently decreasing as our active cases, and I believe that hospitalizations will soon follow suit. The number of active cases continues to fall, reaching the lowest level in more than three months. With recoveries continuing to outpace new infections, about 7,300 people are reported to be feeling the effects of the virus. Meanwhile, the department is encouraging people to get the new vaccine booster shot that is now available and was developed using the latest subvariants, which were blamed for rapidly spreading the virus over the summer. 
Going to the polls may feel like a lost cause. You know it's important, but you're not sure if it's even worth it. Maybe you've even asked yourself, does my vote matter? KUAF, Ozarks at Large, and the David and Barbara Pryor Center for Arkansas Oral and Visual History are partnering to host Does My Vote Matter? It's a live recording of our podcast, Natural Election. This takes place Tuesday night at 6 at the Pryor Center. Natural Election co-host Matthew Moore will moderate a panel with Janine Perry, a political science professor at the University of Arkansas, and Jennifer Price, executive director of the Washington County Election Commission. They'll all discuss how local elections have been won by the slimmest of margins. They'll also talk about the impact local leaders can have on your daily life, voter turnout, election security, and more. This is a Friday, Ozarks at Large. Thanks for being with us. In about nine minutes, Becca Martin-Brown from the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette delivers a blueprint for enjoying the weekend. But let's get a head start. Tomorrow night from 5 to 9, the Art Collective Gallery in downtown Rogers will host an opening for a show inspired by pop art. This week, we reached the gallery owner, James Foreman, by Zoom to ask about the show and about the gallery. With the advent of um, Crystal Bridges and the Momentary, I thought there was a need, since there was so much uh, art tourism coming into town, um, I felt there was a need for, you know, a really outstanding art gallery because I didn't really see one in the area. So um, I decided uh, three years ago to open up one. And I chose uh, Rogers um, because I thought it was up and coming as a, a town. And, um, and I went ahead and did it. You mentioned kinds of art that we don't generally, people don't generally associate with this area or perhaps Northwest Arkansas, the Ozarks. Pop art, which is going to yes. take Main Stage Saturday. That's one of those genres, one of those, yes. one of those niches. Right. So, um, yeah, so I want I, I I decided to have a pop art show um, because uh, it's something I haven't done yet in the gallery. So I, I reached out to a, you know several really successful pop artists across the country and also locally, and um, um, you know they all agreed to uh, send me some art, and so that's what we're going to present on Saturday night. Well, let's talk about some of the artists whose work will be included in the exhibition. Yeah, um, I have people from all over. I mean, uh, Steve Adair is a, a very uh, popular artist in this area. He lives here in Rogers, and um, he'll be represented uh, with several pieces. Um, we have an artist by the name of Floyd Spoon, who if you look him up on um, on uh, Instagram, you'll you'll see some um, some examples of his work. Um, he likes to um, paint iconic people on uh, road signs for the most part, but we have something totally different from from him here uh, on Saturday. Um, Tyler Casey, he was another artist from Texas and I think Mexico too. He goes back and forth. Um, very interesting artist. Um, Maddie Love uh, is another terrific young artist that uh, we uh, we are associated with. That uh, is, she's going to have not only a piece hanging on the wall, but she's going to have an installation piece as you come in, which is will might shock some people, um, <laughs> but that's what we do here sometimes. Um, Brian Hoffman, who's uh, another uh, from the Midwest, and he is um, a great, funny, funny, funny uh, painter. He does a lot of like screen prints, taking uh, iconic images that you've seen before and changing them up and making them uh, very comical. And we have an artist from Italy by the name of Carmelo Pluccino, who's a who's been around a while, but he uh, he takes all he takes all those um terrific uh, pop artists that we just mentioned uh, andy and um uh, roy lichtenstein and and also uh other people that came up behind them um and uh he he creates his own works on paper 
And uh, I have a terrific uh, piece by him hanging up. One of the things I'm always curious about with an exhibition sure. is the placement of everything and what it's like to create the environment you want patrons to see. How long does that take and how many times does it change? <laughs> um, that's a very good question. Um, I, don't, I don't know. For me, it comes kind of easy. I don't know how I hate to say that, but I, I kind of lay everything out where I initially see it being. And I, um, you know, and I, and I, I do move things around and change it, but I don't hang, I don't hang them and change them. I, I get it all worked out on the floor. You know, I just lean them against the wall and, uh, make sure they fit right. And there's enough, what I call air around each piece. So they don't, they don't like it really tight against each other. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's a, you know, it's a process, but it's, uh, I enjoy that process. I enjoy curating. Um, yeah. So it's, it's fun for me. You mentioned that part of the inspiration for the gallery was the fact that there was art tourism developing in Northwest yes. Arkansas. And I wonder do you have a feel for how many people that come into the gallery are from here and how many have come in perhaps mm. for momentary crystal bridges or another reason? Um, I would say half of the people that walk in, in are here for a reason. I, I have been either sent here or a reg it's been recommended by somebody. Um, we do a pretty good job at... Uh, um, social media, um, you know, representation on social media. So we do a lot of, lot of work and, um, you know, getting out, getting the word out about the gallery to people. And, uh, we also, um, uh, we also work kind of hand in hand with some of the large, uh, hotels here. We, uh, we give them, uh, information about the gallery. And, um, so, Plus, we get a lot of people from outside the, the state itself. Well, we, I, we, I can't tell you how many people from uh, Kansas City uh, come here, from uh, uh, Nashville even, you know, and lots from Dallas. Uh, and, uh, you know, I'm not saying that they come to town just to see us, but they, they do come. And <laughs> that's the important thing. When I first opened the gallery... Um, I, I sort of had an idea that it would be about just local artists, but I didn't really know any local artists. <laughs> so I had, I, I had to go out and discover, you know, what kind of art scene, especially in Rogers or Bentonville or just in Northwest Arkansas in general, I just had, I had to find out what was going on. So I went to a lot of art shows you know, when we were planning this gallery and, you know, I discovered that there's, you know, there were quite a lot of uh, really talented people in the area. So, um, you know, a lot of them I reached out to and, um, you know, I, I told them that I was doing this gallery and they were very excited because there weren't that many galleries around at all at that time. So I reached out to these people. They agreed to show their work which was interesting to me because I didn't even really have anything to show them as, well, this is, it's going to go here. It's going to go there. <laughs> they just had to trust me. So, and the same with people outside this area. Um, they, they, uh, they, I had to sell them on the area, which was interesting. I had to tell them about what was going on and everything. But anyway, getting back to the local, local folks, you know, there, there is a, ton of really talented people here and i i don't know if you know i'm i'm trying to do my best to get the word out that there are talented people and and so the idea of the gallery at this moment is that even local artists can hang with people from all over the world and that their work is just as good as you know some guy in uh, Venice, Italy, or, or the UK, or, you know, wherever else we have artists from. So, it, you know, I, I think, uh, 
I, th I think we're doing a good, pretty good job of, you know, getting the word out that they're, you know, the talent is here and, uh, you know, it should be recognized and people should be, you know, buying local art. James Foreman is the owner of the Art Collective Gallery in downtown Rogers. The gallery show of pop art is tomorrow evening from 5 to 9. In the background is trumpeter and composer Ingrid Jensen. And I'm Robert Ginsburg, your host for Shades of Jazz. We'll hear more from Ingrid as well as music from Roland Kirk, Jack Hackworth, Dizzy Gillespie, Edsel Gomez, and much more on this week's edition of Shades of Jazz right here on KUAF. Happy Friday. It is time to check in with Becca Martin-Brown, who is the features editor of the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette. She joins us by phone this week from her office in Bella Vista. Hello, Becca. Hi, Kyle. How are you feeling? Much better, thank you. Uh, I was out for much of last week after some oral surgery, but... Uh... I can still talk. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I can still talk and, and uh, happy to be back. Well, Timothy is not as good at reining me in as you are. So we talked about a lot of theater last week. <laughs> I didn't and realize I ever kept you from talking about theater, but go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> and guess what? We have more theater to talk about. Yeah, so I'm... I think what I just heard is I'm not that good at reining you in either, but I don't want to rein you in, so please proceed. <laughs> okay, this weekend is like all the theater and then there's more coming up. Mm -hmm. This weekend, just this weekend, is Pretty Woman the Musical at the Walton Art Center. It runs through Sunday. I'm sure there's some girl in it because it goes with the story. But the important part to me is that the male lead is Adam Pascal, who was the original Roger in Rent. That's right. That's right. As his bona fides, as they say. Holy cow. And even though he wouldn't come to your studio or mine for an interview, still, it's Adam Pascal from right. Rent. So 8 o'clock today, 2 and 8 on Saturday, 2 on Sunday. Tickets start at $51, waltonartcenter.org. Fort Smith Little Theater is doing the Philadelphia story. Oh, that's one of my favorites. It's such a, you know, classic, classic drawing room comedy. Yes. 7.30 today and tomorrow, 2 on Sunday, again, September 28th through October 1st. Tickets are $12. What a deal. At FSLT.org. Arkansas Public Theater in Rogers is doing The Music Man, one of my favorite shows. And, and they're so good. There's a five-year-old that just darn near steals the whole thing. And the barbershop quartet is great. And the two leads, are it's just good. It's really good. So 8 o'clock today and tomorrow, 2 on Sunday, and again starting Thursday of next week. And tickets start at $25. Northwest Arkansas Audio Theater is doing The Taming of the Shrew in a, in a one-hour radio-style adaptation. This is a little bit different for them. I like this because they, you know, they kind of got their start around here, if I remember correctly, with some, some Halloween, some spooky-type stuff, and they've done some comedy. Mm -hmm. But this, this is interesting. And I love, I love the idea of The Taming of the Shrew, which is so funny, mm -hmm. as a one-hour radio show. So it's all over the place this weekend. 7 o'clock today at the First Presbyterian Church in Springdale. And the only admission cost is a donation to the food bank. Perfect. 3 o'clock tomorrow at Shiloh Square in Springdale. Shakespeare in the Park, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And that's free. 2 o'clock Sunday in the Black Box Theater at 214 Cache. Cash. Eight in yeah. Springdale. Yeah. I always say it wrong because it looks like cash. <laughs> it does. It does. The old ACO building in Springdale. Right. Admission for that is $10 for adults and $5 for students. And then they'll be back one more time on October 1st at 2 o'clock in the Walker Room at the Fayetteville Public Library. And that one's free. Tonight at Rail Yard Live in Rogers. Dawson Hollow at 8 o'clock. Mm -hmm. Tomorrow night... You'll be there. 
I'll be there, <laughs> Trout Fishing in America at 8 o'clock. Yep. If you've never been to Rail Yard Live, it's free. Unless you want to reserve a table, it's $20 for a table for four. And you can find out more about that at railyardlive.com. Tonight, Reckless Kelly plays at 8 o'clock at Temple Live in Fort Smith. I say that as a prelude to the fact that Henry Rollins is there tomorrow night at 8 o'clock. That's right. Tomorrow and Sunday, Terra Studios is opening the Bluebird Museum. And in case you're a newcomer to the area, Bluebirds of Happiness created there for years. And they, they are in hiatus from making them because they're blown glass birds and it takes a bunch of energy to run the furnaces. Right. And so it has made the Bluebirds a little more collectible. So they've they're opening a museum to show off the bluebirds. And there's all sorts of events going on with it. Tomorrow they have live music from 2 to 4 and an artist demonstration on the potter's wheel and a pinch pot class for $10. And on Sunday they have live music from 2 to 4 and an artist demonstration on painting and wood burning and a bluebird-themed art lab from 11.30 to 3.30 Sunday that's free, no registration required. And then there's the Format Festival. First ever, Bentonville, today, Saturday and Sunday. They've got the Flaming Lips. Right. They've got the War on Drugs. Right. They've got the Australian band Rufus de Soul. And they've got, I think it's 14 new Nick Cave sound suits. Yes. That will be populated by humans. And walking around at this festival. Right. And just so people get the idea, this is Nick Cave, the visual artist, and not Nick Cave, the recording artist. Correct. Yeah. And a large-scale maze made of recycled plastic bottles. Okay. All right. I think pretty much if you can think of it, they might have it. And it'll be interesting. And I think one-day tickets started $125. But here's the important part. For most of us, mm-hmm. they're streaming parts of it at the momentary. So, you, so you can go to the momentary and watch part of it. Is that is that how it's working? You, you can watch it streamed live on the tower oh, on the exterior of the tower. I gotcha. So, bring a chair, bring a blanket, grab a drink. They have stuff from seven to eight o'clock tonight. And 9 to 10, 15 tonight, which is the band Phoenix. Mm. And then at 9 o'clock tomorrow night, they're streaming the Flaming Lips. So those of us who are a little, I really don't want to say older because I'm tired of that word, a little less festive. Festive, that's there it. You a go. little less festive. You yes. can go watch it at the momentary. Let's call that lestive. Lestive? Yeah. I like that. Okay. Or if you're lestive, you can come across to... <laughs> Rail Yard Live and see trout fishing in America. I have a friend in their 20s who's never seen trout. I find this appalling. And in other news that has nothing to do with anything, guess who got cast in the next show at Arkansas Public Theater? Better you than me is what I would say for the audiences involved. <laughs> You're going to be in it. Well, you've been you've been an MC for Gridiron. Nothing could be scarier than that. Uh, okay. So watch for the November, the end of October, the 1st of November, for a show called Almost Maine. And you'll talk about that more as we get closer. Oh, you won't be able to stop me. It's theater. (laughs) There there you go. There you go. You can find out about all of these things if you go, if you you look at the What's Up section on Sunday. And then you have the the one-pager, right? Sup. Which is today. Right. Becca Martin-Brown features... So we keep you informed all the time. That's right. Becca Martin-Brown features editor at the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette. On the next natural election, we go from the polling booth to the pulpit. Essentially, issue three elevates religious freedom and exercise above all other rights. This is a really radical uh, change to the way that our rights are balanced. We take a look at the Arkansas Religious Freedom Amendment and what it means for civil rights and civic duty. That's on the latest episode of Natural Election. You can listen now wherever you get your podcasts.
This is Ozarks at Large. It's time to get ready for a brand new movie. You know who helps gets us get us ready for a brand new movie. That's Courtney Lanning. Courtney, how are you? Kyle, I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. Uh, let's see. The movie you're gonna we're gonna talk about this week is something that I am completely unfamiliar with. It's anime. But it's a title. Remember when we talked about Dragon Ball Z, I at least had a cursory knowledge. This is something that comes out of the blue for me. What is this? Yeah, so the, the movie is called Mobile Suit Gundam, colon, Kukuru's Dones Island. Now, you're right. If you are not someone who dives deep into the anime world, you're probably not going to know what Gundam is. The but only, I can tell you... The only word I knew there was island, but go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you that I, I, I love Gundam. I grew up with Gundam. Um, I've been a fan since I was a kid. But this, this particular anime, Mobile Suit Gundam, has been around since 1979. Um, I won't make you date yourself by telling me if you were around at that point. Please. <laughs> but but there, there's so much to this particular anime. When you talk about Gundam, you're talking about multiple TV series, multiple movies, multiple comics, etc. But the original that we're talking about today is just Mobile Suit Gundam, came out in 1979, mm -hmm. and this movie uh, fits into that original series. So it's a sequel? It is in this. Follow me along here. Okay. I promise I will explain this. <laughs> okay. It is um, the original TV series that ran in Japan premiered in 1979. Like I said, a total of 43 episodes in this one series. This film is basically episode 15 from that TV series, but expanded into a full length movie. Okay. All right, so it's kind of there in the middle of the original run. It is. It would be like, you know, if, if you took uh, an episode of the original Battlestar Galactica mm -hmm. and just blew it up into a movie. Okay. That's, that's what you have here but it looks, with, with this movie. But it looks different, right? Because 1979 anime isn't necessarily 2022 anime when it comes to appearances. So it's funny because the animation is excellent. And the characters still look exactly like their two-dimensional 1979 counterparts, which flummoxed me mm -hmm. because I love that. They stay true to the original character designs. Um, but the, the mechs, the giant robots, which are the, the centerpiece of this series, they are beautifully rendered in 3D CG. So, so a little bit of the old and a little bit of the new. Exactly. You have the same two-dimensional characters and two-dimensional backgrounds, but the giant robots that, that they're piloting and fighting with, those are all 3D, and they're blended into the background beautifully. So it makes for some amazing action scenes. And, and I'll back up here and give, give just a basic bit of story for, Please, yeah. for what... Mobile Suit Gundam is a story that is essentially set in the distant future. And in this story... Uh, mankind has created these giant satellite environments that humans can live in in outer space, and they're called colonies. And they're basically city-sized satellites that people live in that orbit the Earth. Okay. And uh, these satellites, you know, through generations, you eventually have people that are born up there, live up there their entire lives, die up there without ever setting foot on Earth. And what this does is this creates a rife conflict between traditional people on Earth with the traditional military force that rule the colonies and colonies looking to break away for independence. Wow. And this sets up, you know, wars and battles and revolutions and, and so forth and so on. And basically in the future, these giant robots called mobile suits, the most powerful of which are called Gundams. I got you are introduced into the warfare and people pilot these and it just dials up the war's destruction even more. Entire colonies get destroyed, entire countries get destroyed. And so that is the basic premise to Mobile Suit Gundam is wars, 
pacifism, teenagers who get swept up into armed conflict and how it destroys their lives. It's, it's really a beautifully complex series overall. All right. So if there are two kinds of people, those who are very knowledgeable, like you, those of me who are hearing about this for the first time, how does the movie do satisfying either or both audiences? Look, I'm not going to lie to you, Kyle. <laughs> if you already like Mobile Suit Gundam, and I'm guessing there's maybe a very small portion of people listening to this right now who know what it is and enjoy it and have enjoyed it for years, because mm-hmm. again, came out in 1979. Right. Uh, if you already enjoy the series, you'll enjoy this movie. And if you know nothing about this universe, Kyle, don't bother. Okay. Because if you haven't seen like at least the first third of the original series, the first 15 to 20 episodes, so you're familiar with the characters, you'll be entirely lost. It's going to come to theaters, right? It'll be in theaters on Tuesday and Wednesday. What else is coming out this week? So another movie coming out this week uh, that made a lot of headlines a few weeks ago is called Don't Worry, Darling. Um. This is a new film starring Florence Pugh and Harry Styles. I don't know if you were aware of all the celebrity drama going on when this was making its premiere at the film festival. Uh, Only through memes. Only through memes. (laughs) I'm not quite sure what happened, but it involved Chris Pine and Harry Styles and all that. Yeah, you know, there were rumors of Florence Pugh having a falling out with Olivia Wilde. Mm. Uh, You know, did Harry Styles spit on Chris Pine or uh, not Chris Pine? Um, Yeah, Yeah, Chris Pine. Pine, Yeah, Yeah, Chris Pine. You're right. Um, You know, just all sorts of crazy mess. But the movie is finally here for those who want to see it with all the drama that it caused at its premiere. All right. So the full review of Mobile Suit. Gundam, etc. Cuckoo's Dones Islands. Thank you. Is in today's Democrat Gazette in theaters Tuesday and Wednesday. What are we going to chat about next week? Next week, I hope to review a new Zac Efron movie coming out called The Greatest Beer Run Ever. <laughs> Zac Efron is is flirting with that eternal teenager or eternal uh, young adult sort of persona. He is, but this one. This movie actually looks, I'm not a big war drama fan, Oh, but, but this looks really interesting. This is about Zac Efron playing a character based on a real person um, who, during the Vietnam War, oh. takes a sack full of beer to deliver to his neighborhood friends, serving in an active combat duty role. Well, I take it back, Zac Efron. The title alone made me think it was, you know, <laughs> old school three or something. Very good. Courtney Lanning, as always, thank you for your time. Kyle, thanks for having me. Arkansas PBS will present a free preview screening of the newest Masterpiece Mystery Series, Magpie Murders, Monday, September 26th at 7 p.m. at the Victory Theater in Rogers. A mystery author dies under suspicious circumstances with his last book seemingly unfinished. What happened and how does this latest potboiler end? This free screening will feature episode one of the six-part series. More at magpiemurders.eventbrite.com. This is Ozarks at Large with me, Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio. Ryan Versi, the underwriting director at KUAF. Welcome back. Thank you, Kyle. How's it going? Pretty good. We're going to make someone very happy because they're going to be going to Hillberry. That's correct. You know, every time I come on, I'm usually coming on bearing gifts. That's so right. It's a pretty cool position. That's right. So we'll get to that in a moment. Sure. First, Texas A&M football game this weekend. Any thoughts? So um, my Arkansas Razorbacks are going to have to come with it. But I'm certain we can get the job done. I have no doubts that we can. Okay. It's just we got to put the work in. All right. That taken care of. I knew when I said any thoughts. Oh, yeah. There would be thoughts. Of course. That taken care of. Uh, All right. So Hillberry, which is this music festival, and we're giving away an all-inclusive sort of thing here. That's correct. Sounds like it's going to be pretty awesome. I might have to check that out myself. All right. Who are we making happy? So, if you are listening, Josh Moscaso, congratulations. You are the winner. And how will we uh, how will we get these items, this this pass and tickets to Josh? I think we'll email Josh and, um, you know, kind of set it up from there. Um, sorry if we didn't pronounce your last name correctly. Couldn't decide. We couldn't decide if it was Moscoso or Moscaso. 
we flipped the coin and landed on Moscaso. So hopefully that's correct. If not, we apologize. However, you are the winner. No matter how your last name. No is matter pronounced. how your last name is pronounced, these tickets are yours. All right, uh, and we're gonna you're gonna come back to give away more things later. Right? Oh, absolutely. All right, of course. All right, Ryan. Have a great weekend. Thank you. Happy Friday. Eureka Springs residents can hear from candidates for city and local offices Thursday night at the end of the Ozarks Convention Center. The forum will begin and end with 30-minute informal meet and greet sessions, and the candidate forum itself is from 6 to 8. The nonpartisan forum Thursday night sponsored by the Greater Eureka Springs Chamber of Commerce. Principal Chief Chuck Hoskin Jr. and Deputy Chief Brian Warner are proposing the Cherokee Artist Recovery Act of 2022 to address, they say, the adverse economic impact of the COVID-19 pandemic on Cherokee artists by purchasing their art and providing more opportunities for artists to teach others over the next two years. The proposal, if approved by the Council of the Cherokee Nation, will set aside $3 million to support Cherokee artists through the end of fiscal year 2024. The act also establishes the Cherokee Artist Resource Collection, a comprehensive database of Cherokee Nation artists. A portion of the funds under the act could also be used for the rehabilitation or construction of facilities such as art galleries and teaching spaces. The council will consider the measure at its September 29th Rules Committee meeting. And KUAF will offer live coverage of the next hearing into the January 6th violence at the U.S. Capitol Wednesday afternoon, beginning at noon. The hearing, again, inside the U.S. House chamber, could be the last of the series. Coverage from NPR is scheduled to start at noon Wednesday, so we will not have a Wednesday at noon edition of Ozarks at Large. Marlon Blackwell is the E. Faye Jones Chair of Architecture at the University of Arkansas, and his unique design philosophy, in part, led to him receiving the American Institute of Architects Gold Medal. For me, it confirms the validity of what we've been trying to do here for the last 30 years, which is to demonstrate that architecture of the highest aspirations can happen anywhere, at any scale, at any budget, and for anyone. That architecture is for everyone, not just for a few. He says he likes to listen to his clients' stories and not just a laundry list of what they need. I think it's really important to understand their aspirations. Uh, They tend to be mostly optimistic and hopeful. Uh, We like to try to channel that into the work. I think people feel that, that maybe that's where some of the joy comes from. Hear more from Blackwell in the latest edition of Short Talks from the Hill, a research podcast of the University of Arkansas. You can listen at KUAF.com or anywhere you get your podcasts. This is 91.3 KUAF, Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Bentonville, and Alma. KUAF is a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. Timothy Dennis produced today's show. Contributors included Anna Pope, Michael Tilley, Becca Martin-Brown, and Courtney Lanning. Thank you very much, Ryan Versi, our underwriting director at KUAF, for stopping by as well today. And thank you for your continued support of 91.3 KUAF. This is a fundraising month at KUAF. The money we raise from listeners just like you keeps programs like Ozarks at Large, Science Friday, all the great music shows that you'll hear throughout the weekend on the air. It's a simple fact. Without the money, we can't produce the shows and pay the people who produce and edit the shows both done here at the Carver Center for Public Radio and from around the country. Thank you again. If you'd like to contribute during this fundraising month, you can do so at supportkuaf.com. You can also mail us a contribution at 9 South School, Fayetteville, 72701. We're back with you Sunday morning at 9 for Weekend Ozarks at Large from the Carver Center for Public Radio. I'm Kyle Kellums.